The March to Zion broadcast is a weekly radio production of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. The broadcast is under the direction of Elder Tim McCool, Pastor. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Stay tuned for a message of God's sovereign grace. This is Tim McCool, pastor of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church and director of the March to Zion broadcast. Please stay tuned for a message of God's sovereign grace. Down at the feet of Jesus, I know in humble seeking in broken spirit to find a Welcome you to the program. If you're a returning listener, we rejoice in being able to spend this time with you yet again. And if you're a first-time listener, we hope that you'll feel burdened to come and join us each week at this same time. We're very thankful for the blessed privilege to be able to speak the message of salvation by grace alone from week to week on the radio stations. We're thankful for the opportunity to continue to speak that message. We invite you to come and worship with us at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church, located just off of Highway 82 on the Boyd Road near Acola. Our worship services are each Sunday morning at 10.30 and on the second and fourth Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. We also have a website. It's BethlehemPBC.org. That's BethlehemPBC.org. We invite you to go and check that out. We update that on a very frequent basis. Also, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at my email address. It's Tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-O-L-L-A-W.com. That's Tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-O-L-L-A-W.com. AW.com. We'll hear a song and then bring to you a message from the Word of God.
want to speak to you this morning about the certainty of eternal salvation, the certainty of eternal salvation. I fear that too often out in the religious world today, we hear things like this. Well, the Lord is trying and begging and pleading to save you if you just will do this or do that. It gives an image of the Lord as if he is incapable of saving you or me unless we do something to respond to an offer. Well, I want to give to you the picture from the scripture this morning about the certainty of eternal salvation. Now, let me say this. There is a timely salvation, and I make the distinction between eternal and timely salvation. There is definitely a distinction on things that we can do in this life that deliver us from many, many sorrows, woes, and heartaches. But that in no way, if we don't experience that, if we don't experience timely deliverance, that in no way changes the fact that our risen, resurrected, redeeming, and returning Savior has completely, finally, and fully paid for our sins on the cross And our destination as blood-bought children of God is heaven itself. So my effort this morning to present to you from the Scripture the picture of the certainty of eternal salvation is to glorify the Lord, not to cast stones at any other groups that say you got to do this, you got to do that. But there are so many offers out there. There's so much of the picture that's given of Jesus that he's trying and begging as if he can do nothing. Think about it the very one that created the universe, the one who spoke it into existence, who just rolled the words off of his tongue and everything began to appear that he commanded to appear. And you're telling me that he can't get into the puny little heart of the child of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, let me give you the picture of eternal salvation this morning. Yes, there are many things that we face in this life that God commands us if we will do this or do that, then we can avoid this trial, this suffering. I mean, there's always going to be a measure of tribulation and trouble that we face in this life, but we can go out and contribute to that. The Lord says, if we will tell the truth, then we won't suffer the consequences of lying. It's very simple. We reap what we sow, and Galatians says that God will not be mocked, that whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. That's a timely deliverance here in this life, and there's many a children of God who have experienced a timely deliverance by serving God, and there's many children of God who have experienced horrible things in their life because they did not serve God, and they reap those consequences. So we want to talk this morning about the certainty of eternal salvation versus a scripture like Matthew 1 and 21 that declares, She shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That describes the certainty of eternal salvation. There is no possibility that that won't happen. So let's look this morning in John the 6th chapter as we consider the certainty of eternal salvation. John, the sixth chapter, just a very quick background. It's a day after Jesus has fed a multitude of people, that he's fed them natural bread, and they come to him on the next day, and they're asking him more questions. They've gone across the waters there, and they found Jesus, and they have asked Jesus some more questions. And Jesus says, you're only seeking me because I fed you yesterday. You're wanting natural bread. And then they began to engage one another here, the Pharisees basically and the scribes asking and questioning Jesus about who he is and Jesus going on and telling them more and more as time goes by about who he is and they just can't handle what he tells them. And I want us to ask this question today. Can we handle what Jesus tells us? Can we handle the certainty of eternal salvation? 
Let me say this. If it is certain that all of God's children will be in heaven one day, there will not be one missing because they failed to make a decision or because the Lord was too weak to get into their heart. Can we not rejoice in that? That is something to be glad about. Let me say it. If somebody's disappointed over the fact that Jesus certainly will save all of his children, then we need to question what's going on in our heart. Because if I give you the good news, let the Scripture declares that he is certainly going to save all of his children. We should rejoice. And if you're worrying and fretting today about this group or that group or this country or that country where the gospel maybe hasn't been preached or somebody hasn't gotten there, or you're worried about a relative or a friend or whatever because you just think they haven't done it right, they haven't asked the Lord into their heart, they haven't prayed the way they should, oh, I've got good news for you. Eternal salvation is not dependent on what we do. And Jesus declares this to them in John the 6th chapter. Let's begin with verse 35. Jesus says unto them, I am the bread of life. This is in response to their request. They say, Lord, evermore give us the bread that you're referring to, not natural bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. Notice the language. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Now watch verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. This is an incredible statement because here Jesus refers to the ones that the Father has given him. And of course we know in reading of the Scripture that the ones that the Father has given Jesus were given to him in the covenant of redemption before the foundation of the world. Often in the Scripture you will find Jesus referring to and the writers in the Scripture referring to those that were given to Jesus by the Father. Jesus refers to it multiple times, all that the Father giveth me. He says those that are given to me. Again, and over there in the book of Hebrews where he comes triumphant into heaven itself. At the end of time, there's a picture given there where Jesus, I can just picture him holding his hands out and referring to those multitudes that are gathered around him. He says, behold, to the Father, he says, behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. So we have to make a decision in our minds. Are we going to believe what Jesus said? Or are we going to believe the rhetoric that's out there today that says he's trying, he's pleading, he's begging, he's wanting you to do this so he can save you? Jesus says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And I ask the question, is there any possibility that that won't happen? If somebody doesn't hold on the way or persevere or pray hard enough or let him in their heart, is there any possibility that this won't happen? I'm telling you, child of God, there is no possibility. This is going to happen because Jesus said so, and he is the creator. He is the one that puts salvation in the heart of a child of God. Now, let me go ahead and dispel this question. Someone might say, well, what about that person that wants to be saved, and they've got a desire for Jesus, but you're telling me if they're not one that was given to the Son, well, then they're just out of luck. Let me tell you, there is no such person that exists on the planet. If someone is wanting to be saved, if someone has a desire for Jesus, if they have a desire and a conviction over their sins, that means they already are saved. Jesus is not trying to get into their heart. He's not trying to open the door of their heart or wanting them to. He's already there because they wouldn't have that burden if he wasn't already there. It's kind of like the old saying, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, if you're saying that the egg is compared to faith, let me just tell you this. The chicken comes first. The chicken has to lay the egg in order for the egg to come forth. And the Lord 
if you'll pardon the comparison, the Lord is the one that lays faith in the heart of the child of God. So if you're comparing that to God, well, the chicken comes first because there's no way that you can just generate faith. It says faith is the fruit of the Spirit, and belief comes from faith. You say, well, you just got to believe to be saved. Let me tell you something. A person can't believe unless they have faith, and faith is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a derivative from God. So you see, what comes first? God comes first. God plants it in the heart. All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Is there any possibility that all will not come that were given? There's no possibility. He says, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will. What is God's will? What is God's purpose? What is God's desire? He says that of all which he hath given me, there's that phrase again, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. How about that? He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and all that the Father giveth me, I will lose nothing. I will lose no one single person. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, who sees the Son by the eye of faith, only those that have had faith planted in their heart. Where does faith come from? It's the fruit of the Spirit. And whoever seeth the Son and believeth on him, well, I'll believe and I'll just get eternal life, right? No. Belief is a derivative of faith, and faith comes from the Spirit of God, implanted in the child of God in the new birth, and it's the sovereign act of God. You say, well, who does he plant faith in? Who does he give the new birth to? All the, that the Father giveth me. Some point in their life between conception and death, they will have the Spirit of God quicken their dead and sin heart. Now you say, well, when does that happen? Well, it's God's choice. Jesus described it in John the third chapter to Nicodemus. He said it's like the wind. The wind is sovereign. The wind blows where it chooses and when it pleases. And that's how God operates in the new birth. He's born again, Jeremiah, when he was in the womb. It says that he was ordained a prophet from the womb of his mother. He born again, John the Baptist, in his mother's womb. He was born again before he was born naturally into the world. And David was born again as a toddler. His mother was holding him in her arms. And then also you have the Apostle Paul, who was on the road to Damascus to kill Christians, born again in the prime of life. Then you have that old thief on the cross who's hanging there with only a few hours or minutes left in his life, cursing Jesus one moment, and the next moment he turns around and he's praising his name. He's the only one taking up for Jesus there at the cross. When Jesus is hanging next to him, you say, what happened? He was born again. God gave him life almost at the end of his life. You say, well, I don't understand the pattern there. Here is the pattern. God is like the wind, and he borns again when he pleases, where he pleases, and how he pleases. And I've had people say, well, it just seems a shame that God born again, that thief there at the end of his life. He could have been so much more of a productive citizen throughout his life. Let me tell you something. We are not to question God and his timing. God's timing is perfect, and he never does anything wrong. And the thing to get out of the thief on the cross being born again at the end of his life is God is sovereign in his mercy and his grace. The thief was born again at that point in his life to prove to us that it's not us opening the door of our heart to let the Lord in. Oh, cursing thief railing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, just like the other thief was. And the Spirit of God went into his heart and tendered his heart and gave him spiritual life. And Jesus said those blessed words to him. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Is there any possibility that that thief who was a blood-bought child of God ordained before the world to eternal glory in heaven, is there any possibility that he wouldn't make it? Oh, there's no possibility that any child of God will not make it to heaven because of the certainty 
of eternal salvation. And here Jesus says, all the Father giveth me shall come to me. And all that has been given to me by the Father, I will lose nothing. You see, it's the will of God. And now watch this in verse 44. He says, no man can come to me. You say, well, I thought you said, Brother Tim, that all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. I did say that, actually. Jesus said that. And then Jesus goes on in verse 44 and says, no man can come to me. And I've always said, thank God for exceptions. He says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. So how do you come to Jesus? Well, in the context of this right here, you can't come to him by your nature or by your choice or by your volition. He says, the only way you're coming to me, the only way you're going to make it to me is the Father drawing you. And I will raise him up at the last day. You see, Jesus is saying the same thing over and over again. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. I will raise him up at the last day. Of all that the Father has given me, I would lose nothing. I'll raise him up again at the last day. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Isn't that beautiful? The consistency of Jesus' statement. You know what this adds up to? The certainty of eternal salvation. And I like the comparison of where it says, the Father which has sent me draw him like you would draw water out of a well with a bucket. And you know, the water doesn't jump in the bucket. The bucket doesn't ask the water, would you like to accept me to lift you up out of this well? Would you just come on and jump in? No, the water has no ability to get itself out of the well. It's the bucket that goes down in there and draws the water out of the well. So it is with eternal salvation. We have no ability without God doing something, without God drawing us to be able to get out of that well, so to speak. So the Father draws us, and he says, I will raise him up at the last day. And he gives them more explanation. What does it mean to draw? He says, it is written in the prophets, they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Notice he doesn't say every man that has learned of the preacher or the parent or the friend or the counselor. No, it says learning of the Father. That is a reference to the new birth. How do we know that? Because Jesus says in verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And he says in verse 65, therefore said I unto you, no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. You see, the Father gives the spirit to the heart of the blood-bought child of God who was named in the covenant before the foundation of the world, to be given to Jesus forever, to have the certainty of eternal salvation. Why did it have to be that way? Because we would never come to him in our nature. Because we died in Adam. Romans, the fifth chapter said, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all of God's children be made alive. You see, we can't come to him. We don't have the ability, and we don't even want to come to him. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. It's not that we just can't do it. It's also that we won't do it. We wouldn't if we could, and we couldn't if we would. That's a terrible condition. But I'm here to tell you about the certainty of eternal salvation that Jesus describes here, that not one of his children will be lost. He says, all shall come to me, and not one of them, of them I will lose nothing. And he says, they can't come to me except the Father draws me. You see, it's all of the Lord. And as Jesus goes on and describes about himself being the bread of life, eating his flesh, drinking his blood, a reference to the fact that all of God's children partake in him on the cross because he paid for their sins, they can't take it. It says in verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, they said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? What was their response to the fact that Jesus said, all given shall come, all given I will lose nothing. No man can come except he be drawn, and no man can come except the Father teach him. What was their response to all of that? They didn't like it. 
I'll jump back over to John, the fifth chapter, where he says this in verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. The scriptures are just a testimony of Jesus Christ. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. How about that? That's a bleak picture, isn't it? We can't come to him because we don't have the nature or the desire to. And we won't come to him seeking life because we don't have the nature or the desire to. As a matter of fact, in Romans, the fifth chapter, again, he said we are enemies. We were reconciled to him when we were yet enemies to him. It's a bleak picture, but the good news is he's taken care of it. The certainty of eternal salvation is that he has done it for us because we could not do it. Now look at John 10. It's that great shepherd chapter where he talks about being the good shepherd. And I want you to see in verse 27 of John 10, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. Notice he doesn't say I offer it to them or I try to beg them into it. And they shall never perish. The words could not be plainer. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I love this language because it is about the certainty of eternal salvation. God's sheep will hear his voice, and he knows them, and they will follow him. This is a reference to eternal salvation. They will follow him to heaven. And he says, I give eternal life, not offer. He says, they shall never perish, and no man shall ever pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Oh, this is great news, isn't it? Well, it wasn't too good a news to these folks that were listening to him because in verse 31 their response was, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Can you believe that? How do you respond? How do we respond to this? I've already said in one place it says, they said they walked away from him. In John the 6th chapter, And concluding, when he finished preaching to them about all given shall come, none would be lost. And you know what they said? They looked at it, they shrugged their shoulders, and verse 66, they said, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. What was their response to the certainty of eternal salvation? They walked away from him. And over here in John 10, what was their response to the certainty of eternal salvation? I give unto them eternal life. No man can pluck them out of my hand. They shall never perish. They took up stones to stone him. That just doesn't make sense, does it? It's really amazing to see the responses in the Scripture to the declaration of the certainty of eternal salvation out of Jesus' own mouth. Now, we spoke last week from Romans, the 8th chapter, talking about the intercessions of God that leads to glory. Three intercessions there in Romans 8. The Spirit intercedes with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Father, which knows the mind of the Spirit, intercedes for us because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And the Son also makes intercession, it describes in verse 34. And as he lays out here, this great information for us to know in our times of trouble is that God has done some things for us. The things that God is working together for our good are listed there. He says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, verse 30, he also called and whom he called, that's the new birth, whom he also justified, that's Christ on the cross, and whom he justified, he also glorified. He speaks in the past tense because he knows he's going to do it one day when he returns. He's going to glorify all of his children. They'll be perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. Now, there is no place for man listed here. It's all the work of God. It's all what God does. And then Paul says in verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? Child of God, what do you say to these things? I hope and pray when we hear the declaration of the certainty of eternal salvation that we don't do like they did in John 6. They shrugged their shoulders and they walked no more with him. 
when they heard that every single child of God that was in the covenant of redemption before the foundation of the world, when the Father gave that host of people to the Son, whenever Jesus declared that, they walked away from it because it didn't fit in with what they had been used to hearing. Child of God, if that doesn't fit in with what you've been used to hearing, I implore you, search the Scriptures. You'll find them to be a testimony of Jesus. And they testify to the fact that we would not come to him We could not come to him, but he has come to us. And over there in John, the 10th chapter, the response when he declared that he would lose none of his sheep, all of his sheep would hear his voice. They're in his hand. They're in his father's hand. They will never perish. They will come to him and be with him forever. He picked up stones to stone him. But Paul said in Romans 8, what do we say then to these things? By the way, that was after the resurrection. That's important. After Jesus had been resurrected, and the Apostle Paul preached this many years later and wrote it down here for us to read, I asked the question, what do we say to these things? What do we say to the certainty of eternal salvation? I say, praise God. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God has declared that all of his children will be there, who are we to say that they won't? They will be there. And regardless of the rhetoric that you may have heard all of your life, or it goes on everywhere that he's trying, he's begging, he's pleading, he's wishing, he's wanting, but he can't do it, let me give you the good news of the gospel. He can, he has, he will save his people, and there won't be a single child of God missing. May we rejoice in the certainty of our eternal salvation through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. been listening to the march to zion broadcast for more information contact 205-364-1396 or write to the march to zion broadcast p.o box 270 Carrollton, alabama 35447 bethlehem primitive baptist church is located seven miles east of gordo and 10 miles west of northport just off highway 82 on the boyd road near ecola services are each sunday at 10 30 a.m and the second and fourth Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Please join us next week for another message of God's sovereign grace.